Before we get into the show, a quick reminder to check out and subscribe to the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Each week, he's doing deep dives into breweries, talking with journalists covering the beer space, and unpacking a lot of what makes the beer industry so interesting. Find the Beer Edge podcast wherever you download shows. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. The Barrel and Flow Festival is coming up next week, and Dave Bracey is my guest this week. He's talking about creating a beer event during a pandemic, providing a welcoming space, and the evolution of diversity in the craft beer industry, one brewery visit at a time. But first, I'm happy to tell you that this show is brought to you by NZ Hops, the cooperative of master hop growers. They are a passionate collective of farms dedicated to innovation and sustainability. Leading the charge in sustainable farm practices, some NZ Hop farms have over five generations of knowledge that inform their composting program used by growers to promote healthy, regenerative growth of hops year upon year. This creates high quality soil, a critical component of healthy growing conditions. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. And the show is also brought to you by Dragon's Milk. Dragon's Milk White from New Holland Brewing Company reimagines what a stout can be. Your vessel will be filled with the color of gold, and yet there's much more to this white stout than meets the eye. Aged in bourbon barrels, Dragon's Milk White is smooth and velvety, abounding with notes of coffee, chocolate, and vanilla to present classic stout flavors in a delicious new way, all in a sessionable 6% ABV package. Find Dragon's Milk White near you at dragonsmilk.com. It's the 1st of September, and Dave Bracey wants to empower the Black community through the beer industry all month long. Of course, this is actually a year-round goal, and the podcaster, comedian, and festival organizer does that all day, every day. But next week in Pittsburgh, he's hosting the Barrel and Flow Festival, and will be able to put the goal front and center. It's the continuation of Fresh Fest, which he founded with business partner and podcast co-host Ed Bailey, and rebranded for a new year after some issues with the name and a change in another business relationship. There's a lot of talk about diversity in the craft beer space, and we've even talked about it a lot here on this show. But talk is just that. Action is what is needed. After countless brewery visits and conversations, Day has a pretty good idea on what needs to be done to bring meaningful change. He'll share his thoughts, and we'll also talk about how the festival is coming together and how they want to create a welcoming space, something that other festivals don't always offer. There's a lot of ground to cover, so let's get right into the conversation. When you're thinking about your introduction to craft beer and drinking craft beer um, and the experiences around it, how quickly did you notice the diversity problem that craft beer in general has? Um, so being black in America, you realize that most places have a diversity issue, uh, a reality issue. I like the, the term um, I was reading somewhere that, you know, diversity is trying to fit um, into a preconceived notion that, you know, most places are white male and that, you know, if we add a dot here or there, then we've solved it with diversity. Um, whereas what we're trying to do is make, you know, our workspaces and the other environments more like reality. Um, you know, white men uh, make up a certain group a certain percentage and then there are women and children and and black people and, and asian folks and you know folks all over um so you know we're, we're aiming to make the industry um more you know realistic uh you know if i'm walking down the street in new york i'm not walking i'm not going to bump into you know a street full of bearded white dudes unless it happens to be a craft beer festival. so um <laughs> I mean, if you're outside a blind tiger maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> or walking you know? past other half perhaps yeah so, um, you know, we, uh, so, I mean, I kind of, we've always been aware of it, um, to an extent, but, um, the, I think, uh, you know, once we started, um, you know, the, the, the in the comedy space, there's, there's issues, podcasting spaces. Um, once we got more involved in the craft beer space, uh, around 2014 is when we started the podcast. Um, and we really started, you know, I was drinking some craft beer. I just started to be able to afford it. 
a little bit, um, started, you know, drinking it, you know, a little bit more frequently. We started the podcast, we linked up with the industry. And I want to say about like, you know, uh, a year and a half, two years into it, after visiting, you know, brewery after brewery and interview after interview, you know, just walking into these spaces and being the only two black people in the entire space. Um, that's something that's too different from a comedy space, um, you know, especially here in Pittsburgh, uh, but definitely exaggerated um, because there wasn't even any, like a lot of women in there. I mean, at least in comedy spaces, you're seeing, you know, couples and, you know, women coming in or whatever, but it was, it was largely just male and white. Um, and we were like, wow. Um, so I, I'd say around there is when we started to, to not only notice it, um, but uh, feel as if there was something that we could do about it. What were those early conversations uh, that the two of you had of what you could do about it, what you could do to, to start to change the conversation, to start to, you know, actually bring meaningful influence to, to, to the industry. Cause a lot of brewers and I, I think even a lot of patrons like talk a good game of inclusion or, you know, or at least are interested in not, you know, trying to stand behind closed doors. I mean, maybe they are, but like, you know, the conversations that I've had at least and understanding that I'm a middle-aged white guy, um, you know, I'm going to probably be in different conversations, you know, but people by and large are like, yeah, like, we don't want it to just be us standing around. Um, but what were those conversations like of what you thought you guys could do to start to, to, to bring things into a, a positive modern era? Um, so the, you know, so my background is social services. Um, I spent a lot of time uh, working with um, you know, underrepresented communities, poor communities, uh, the military, um, as a resource coordinator, um, as a counselor, as a caseworker, um, as a drug and alcohol counselor, you know, the various roles in that, in that, in that industry taught me a lot about outreach and community building, um, and, you know, resource coordinating, um, which is, uh, is really what is needed to change an industry, um, to change any, workplace is is the ability to find you know the people that you're looking for the ability to um, meet the people where they are there's hurdles um, and you can't just stand at the finish line and expect them to jump all the hurdles to get to you you need to meet them where they are um, okay. you know and um, you know community building um, listening uh, actively listening and you know uh, you know acknowledging privileges um, and um, you know, uh, various, you know, various things, you know, safe spaces, um, you know, and community building and whatnot. Um, so in those conversations, you know, first it was just like a notice, like, wow, it's pretty white. Um, at first we were just like, all right, well, you know, we'll be, you know, we'll be, you know, guys, you know, like we weren't, you know, me and Ed, my partner, um, the Drinking Partners podcast, um, you know, we weren't like, you know, we're going to we're going to be the black guys and we're going to go out there and, and, and black it up and make sure that everybody knows we're the blackest podcast in Pittsburgh and in drinking and like, you know, people are going to come and be like, man, you guys are black. I'm black too. Let's black it up. Like if that wasn't how it was, we were just like, well, you know, let's, let's go out and meet folks in these areas, you know, because, um, you know, the, the first thing was, you know, for us, it began as like, okay, well, let's go to these areas where there's not a lot of us and show them that, you know, like, whatever they saw on TV, whatever they saw in the media probably isn't what it really is. Um, you know, kind of um, breaking down stereotypes was just the first thing. Can um, you give a good example of that, of like the stereotypes that you were trying to break? Um, so Chicago, right? Everybody, you know, anytime you meet a, a white person that uh, doesn't know a bunch of black folks, uh, you know, and you talk about like, you know, black communities, first thing they think about is Chicago and like all of the, the numbers that come out of there and they think like, you know, you know, gang affiliated, uh, you know, rough talking, like angry, you know, black men, right. The, the, the very um, media driven stereotype of, of, of black folks, that's pretty out there. Um, and, you know, we wanted to have conversations, you know, and, and we did that with comedy. We do that a lot with comedy um, as, you know, and that's what it, our, our podcast is, is a, is a comedy podcast um that's fueled by craft beer and whatnot so you know getting on stage and having those conversations 
um, that, you know, we have them just like you have them. We have wives and, and, and children and jobs. And, you know, we see things in the same, you know, views that, you know, you see, you know, see them and just kind of like more of a relatable, like, Oh, okay. I see you put your hand, you know, your pants on one leg at a time. Like I do very, very simple things, providing a space for people to ask questions, um, you know, that they, they didn't, you know, ask, uh, you know, um, outside of touching our hair, um, you know, just, uh, you know, asking, um, you know, uh, those, um, you know, seemingly silly questions. Um, because I ask that, uh, you know, about white people all the time. Like, do you guys really like mayonnaise as much as, as you know, I've heard, like, you know, things like that, um, would seem kind of offensive. Is that, but a, is that a question that's asked? Uh, no. So they don't ask us if we like mayonnaise, but I've definitely asked white people if they like mayonnaise as much. Cause I, you know, I was, you know, I was a black guy, I grew up around, um, you know, black folks. And then I was exposed to, to white culture and, you know, the poison and, and, and Leonard Skinner and you know, okay. all kinds of things. And I had questions. Um, but, uh, I think white people feel, you know, more afraid to ask those questions because they don't want to, you know, come off as racist or they're just fearful of black folks um, for whatever reason, or maybe they just don't know enough black people to, uh, to even ask um, a lot of, well, you know, America is pretty segregated. So yeah, a lot of people because of redlining don't even live next to black folks. So, I mean, we were just asking questions and kind of being there to be asked questions. Um, and then at some point we realized, okay, well, we, this, it, it I don't know, I guess it, it became more of a, you know, I don't know. We saw a festival, you know, it was like, all right, well, we started meeting more people. We started meeting more black folks. We started meeting more people who we were kind of asking us like, Hey, what can we do? People were, you know, we're going to these breweries, we're going to these venues and they're asking us like, what can we do? What more can we do? Hey, how can we help out? How can we help out? <clears throat> we really didn't know um, outside of just, you know, having these conversations. Um, we really didn't have any kind of plan in place to help people, um, you know, move forward. And, uh, you know, the, the early conversations, you know, was really um, after meeting some more folks that had more resources. Um, you know, we met up, we ended up meeting up with Mike Potter, uh, a former, our former partner, and he had some connections uh, to the greater uh, black community nationally, uh, black brewing community nationally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in connecting with the larger black brewing community, we were now able to say, okay, well, you know, how do we come together? on something, come together in a meaningful way so that it's not just independent, you know, like agents, you know, spread out across America, taking on this, this load that is being, you know, lonely black people in a, in a, in a very white dominated, you know, uh, space, you know, how do we build, you know, networking ties and, and take this task on, um, you know, together, uh, as opposed to alone. And that's really where the, you know, the, the fest came in was like, okay, well, this is a, a way, a vehicle, not only with the podcast and with comedy and various events, this is a way that we can bring people together, um, provide that safe space, start those conversations um, and see who really wants to put their, you know, their time, efforts and, and money into making a change, a meaningful change. Um, and that's kind of where, you know, those conversations started and kind of progressed. Did, did you find that it was, or what was the response when you asked people to step up when you were building the uh, festivals out? So we, um, so we really didn't ask people to step up. Um, we, uh, we don't ask people to step up. Uh, we, we say, Hey, we're doing this. And if you want to get down, then hit us up and let's find out how you can get down. Um, you know, I think, uh, and that's, you know, when we first started, we were like, all right, well, let's bring in about 10, you know, 10 black owned breweries. Let's, uh, connect with some of the, you know, our close friends in the industry locally. Uh, we were going to bring in about 10, um, you know, white owned breweries locally. There's no black owned breweries, no black owned brick and mortar breweries in PA. Um, there's less than a hundred, uh, black owned breweries in the country and, and less than 50 of those are brick and mortar owned out of the 8,500 nationwide craft breweries. So, um, you know, the, the collaboration became a huge part in saying we're reaching out to our local friends here and saying, Hey, um, we're thinking of doing this festival or whatever. Uh, you know, we've had these discussions already about, you know, you wanting to do something more. We feel like this would be a meaningful way for you to do something, you know, 
you know, collaborate with a with a you know a black artist or an entrepreneur uh, on a beer, and have those conversations with them. Um, you know, enhance your business through the it was cross promotion. Enhance your business through cross promotion and you know being introduced to um, a new community while also uh, introducing the black community to the craft beer industry um, and the opportunities therein. Uh, these mutually beneficial um, relationships. And, you know, again, um, you know, finding a common goal for two entities to work on typically works out really well um, in community building. Uh, so, um, you know, we reached out to our, our, you know, closest 10, you know, breweries locally. They all jumped on and said, hell yeah, let's do it. Um, you know, a way to meaningfully, you know, you know, not just show up and pour some beer at an event um, and then peace out, but actually put your name on the line, put your, you know, your product um, and put your time and effort into it. And, uh, you know, they all jumped on and then um, very quickly. So we started reaching out to people in about February uh, by like, you know, the end of March, like every week we had a new brewery hitting us up going, hey, heard you guys were doing this black beer festival. We'd love to be a part of it. We're like, yeah, you know, you got to brew beer for it, right? They're like, yep. You know what I mean? Just let me know how, you know, whatever is necessary. Da, 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 da. Um, and it just kept happening, kept happening. And by the time we came to the festival, uh, you know, we were at what, about 45 breweries um you know 10 i think that first year we had uh, about 10 or 15 black owned breweries and the rest were you know white breweries that were collaborating with black entities on collaboration beers uh, we had people reaching out to us you know uh like a week or two before the festival asking if they could make a brew beer and i'm like can you even <laughs> brew beer that quick like the, well, like fake yeast you know, yeah yeah so you know um the the response was yeah, I mean, I think, and, and every time we we had a conversation, they were like, "Yeah, yeah, we're sick of seeing bearded white dudes too." You know, this is coming from bearded white dudes. You know, like, um, so, you know, I think that there was a there was an understanding. Um, you know, there it's one of those like once you see it, you can't unsee it type things. And the people that saw it, they were like, "Yeah, that is kind of crazy. How do I, you know, how do I help?" And they and they stood, um, they stepped up. Um, and I think there's also an understanding, you know, uh, throughout the craft beer industry that, you know, there's only but so much beer you can sell to bearded white dudes. I mean, there's, you know, incestuous marketing. You can only cut up that pie so much. And if it's going to continue to grow um, and keep taking shares from, you know, mass beer, they're going to have to incorporate more um, demographics. And in today's age, it's harder to do that, um, you know, uh, without genuine um genuine want for the uh, uh the well-being of the clientele that you're looking to sell to so we're not looking for folks to just drop off some beer um like they did in the 80s and then you know pay a couple of black people to you know sell it and then you know there's no opportunities there uh, we're looking for you know we're looking the thing that the thing that white people love about craft beer is the economic side of it the fact that you know it's supporting small businesses the fact that they know the guy behind the counter the the circular economics that are involved, the fact that they may be able to get a job themselves. I know I became more, more enthusiastic about craft beer once I started making more money through that industry and whatnot. And, you know, we want that same thing for the black community. Um, so, you know, in doing that, I think that people are reaching out because they want these meaningful partnerships and they want to meaningfully build as opposed to just, you know, slapping a rap label, you know, on their can and hoping that black people will pick it up. Because that, I mean, that happens quite a bit. Um, yeah. But the, the conversation that brewers have, and and this and this has come up on the show a couple of times before, of a lot of the time brewers say, "Well, yeah, of course I want to do that, and of course I want to grow market share, and of course, you know, I want to, you know, be able to to have the, these conversations." I don't know the first question to ask, or I don't know the first, you know, step to take to get there. Um, and, and, and that was sort of a common refrain last summer, um, when, you know, when, when, when race was being talked about, uh, you know, daily in, in, in every part of American life. Um, and, and, and even if that conversation has cooled a little bit in the beer space, I think it's still there, but for, 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 for a brewery that does actually want to, to grow, does actually want to, uh, be in the community to 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 you know, be a I, I guess just a good business um, in and around folks. What 
is it changing their marketing strategy or is it just having, you know, the same conversation, but you know, that they have been all along to, to sell their beer, to sell their business, um, but just be in different areas. What, what, what's, what's your take? Um, so the, the problem with these conversations are typically they're, they're having it between white people, it's like white, sure. people, white people, right. In white spaces. In fact, people always invite me to white spaces and go, how do we get more black people here? And I'm like, we tried asking this question in a black space. Something as simple as that is, you know, if you want that, if you want to, if you want that community to be, uh, if you want that community to be, you know, your employees and whatnot, you have to be in that community. You have to go. You have to go into the, you know, so, uh, and, and then you got to get uncomfortable. Um, you know, we, we, when you look at the festival and, and the, the percentages that we have, it's a pretty mixed bag. Um, you know, and that's the thing that, you know, we do time and again from both sides, from all sides. Um, you know, uh, people enjoy the festival um, and, and the community that's around it because it is so diverse, right? Like there's a lot of black folks, a lot of white folks, there's Asian communities. I mean, we had, um, a, a family fly in from India to volunteer for the festival, uh, the first year, um, which was insane. Um, you know, so, um, you know, but that's because we, as comedians, we, as people, we have gone into these communities for years. We've been going into the white community. We've been going to brewery after brewery. You know, there were there were months, especially in the in the beginning, where you know we were visiting, you know, 10, 15 breweries a month. Um, you know, going in, doing shows, like you know, having these conversations, um, you know, podcasting or whatever. And you know, Fresh Fest, Barrel and Flow Fest, those didn't happen overnight. Those happened after years of going into these communities and building. You know, week after week, getting on stage in front of you know majority white audiences and building a little bit at a, at a time, you know, if, if I got in front of 300 people, you know, if even, you know, five or six of those people like me, cool, that's five or six more than I had last week. And by the end of the year, you know, I'll have more. And, and that's, that's really what it is. It's slow. It's, it's a battle of attrition. It's not going to happen overnight, but you have to go into those communities. You have to, you know, find the black communities, find the black leaders in those organizations, find those events go to those events and say, hey, how can I support you? Uh, how can we work together? What are ways that we can, you know, there's black artists, black uh, politicians, you know, black organizations, um, much like you know, the white organizations that we, we've linked up with. Um, and we say, hey, how can we, how can we work together? And if you continue to, if you, you know, if you continue to do that um, in those spaces, eventually you'll see people, you know, going, hey, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm interested in that. Hey, maybe we can do that. And I mean, I think it's, it's, it, it starts with that is, is finding the people, finding the communities. I mean, it's going to be harder for some than others, right? If you're in the middle of Kentucky and, you know, the, the, the nearest black community to you is 60, 70 miles away. Uh, I mean, is it even realistic that they're going to have a tap room full of black people ever? Um, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a question that you have to kind of ask yourself. Um, you know, I mean, but yeah, you could support, you could send, you know, money and beer that way or whatever, if that's really a goal that you want to see, but, you know, you have to be realistic as to, you know, what your tap rooms, what your, um, you know, your, your, your employees are going to look like based on, on your area. But again, it's, it's going into those areas, being uncomfortable and asking those questions for years to the people that you want to attract. Is there, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but is there a brewery that comes to mind that you've seen have this conversation and then put the work in and is now growing because of it is, is, is there somebody or, or some place that you've had the front row seat to actually see, see this in action? Grace Brewing, uh, Bloomfield PA. Um, what's the, what's the name of it? You, you broke up a little bit. Oh, it's trace trace. Okay. Um, in, in Bloomfield yeah. PA. Okay. It's um they uh they just recently opened uh I don't know in January I want to say uh and they reached out to us um they reached out to us in I mean last year uh, early and um you know before the pandemic um sat down with Dave one of the owners and he said you know I, I don't want it to be a space full of just white dudes um and you know love what you guys are doing you know and ask you know how can we how can we make that not happen? And um, working with them, they uh, they started a uh, apprenticeship program, a apprenticeship program, 
where, you know, uh, we'll bring in someone for six months. Uh, they will teach them, you know, as much as they teach them about brewing in six months. Um, and those, those people that come into that, that program, the end of it, have the skills to work in any brewery uh, across the country um, afterwards. They don't have to give up time. Um, they don't have to give up money of time because it's paid. Um, and they were very intentional um, in looking for somebody of color um, and looking for women, looking for underrepresented communities um, and not just going, oh, well, whoever applies, applies. They're like, no, they, they, they reached out to like led organizations. They reached out to the media. They made it very clear that they were signaling to the people, you know, who they were, um, who they were looking for. Um, and it, which is, which goes, you know, again, um, into it, uh, uh, you know, signaling, you know, with the, with the venue, they, um, they opened up, they put a wall, they came into a neighborhood that was mixed. Uh, they put a, a wall on the side where people could come in. They invited the community to tag up the wall and enjoy there. They, they hire black artists, uh, to perform. They hire people from the LGBTQ community to come out and, and perform. They have uh, events they have rainbow parades during Pride Month and beyond. Um, they signal when you walk in. They have rainbow flags. Hey, if you're from the gay community, you're here. You're welcome here. Uh, they have black people behind the desk when you walk in. If you're black, they you know they're signaling um, to them. Much like to babies or people with kids or dogs. Hey, you're friendly. You know, come in. You know, we're, we're friendly. Basically, you have to do that with the communities as well because a lot of communities, especially black communities, underrepresented communities. Um, just don't welcome there. Um, and, you know, it's when you walk in, it is, it's one of the most diverse breweries I've ever seen in, in, in America. I mean, I've, I've traveled a bunch of breweries from New York to, to LA, and, you know, even in those major cities, I mean, the, the, the community is just wild and mixed and just, it's, it's colorful. It's, it, it's, it, it's what, I mean, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like barrel and float. Fest. It's like fresh fest, but at a brewery and it's like, holy shit. You know, and, and it really does like it, it like I'm, I, every time I go down there, I'm beaming with pride because, you know, I, like, you know, we had a small hand in helping in, 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 in helping that or whatever, but ultimately it, it proves that, you know, what, what we're saying actually works in practice. And that's what the fest tries to do. Is, you know, when people came into the festival and they saw this array, you know, kept asking, well, even like beer, when you walk in the barrel and float, you, that question is is unequivocally answered. Um, and it was even it was even answered, you know, to 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 Garrett Oliver, who is you know one of the you know more more well known in in the country. You know, was asking, well, maybe black folks, you know, do black people drink beer? And he came to that festival, and you know, since then, you know, he's been inspired, and you know, the Michael Jackson Foundation. Um, you know, is is part of that that inspiration from actually seeing that if you put the work in, if you meet the people where they are, you will actually get the results. Yeah, we had Michael, uh, we had uh, Garrett on the show last summer when the the foundation was announced, and he he uh, did credit the festival. He 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 talked about that um, uh, uh, pretty forthrightly um, as as one of the inspirations. And I just looked it up. It's uh, trace bloomfield.com slash brewery program for anybody who's interested in uh, learning more uh, about that particular program. More with Dave Bracey in a moment, but first a word of thanks to the companies that help keep drink beer, think beer on the air. Dragon's Milk White from New Holland Brewing Company reimagines what a stout can be, abounding with notes of coffee, chocolate, and vanilla, all in a sessionable 6% ABV package. Find Dragon's Milk White near you at dragonsmilk.com. And also check out NZ Hops. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. And now back to Dave Bracey of the Drinking Partners podcast and the organizer of the Barrel and Flow Festival. So you brought up the festivals and I want to get into that because that's uh, one of the main reasons you're here is because you got a festival coming up. Um, you rebranded it this year, um, Barrel and Flow. It, it was Fresh Fest. Now it's Barrel and Flow. Um, anything big behind the name change or is this just part of a natural evolution? Um, a little bit both. Uh, we just, I dissolved my uh, partnership with Mike Potter uh, last year. Um, Fresh Fest was an endeavor that 
he and I created. Um, so as that partnership evolved, uh, so did Fresh Fest. It was a, it was good. I think it, it did, you know, a lot of great things. Um, but it was time to move forward. Uh, also, we found out that P Diddy uh, <laughs> owns Fresh Fest, so we own Fresh Fest Beer Fest, but we can, we didn't, we don't own Fresh Fest, and that was, uh, I, I don't have enough money to fight Diddy in court, so we were like, well, <laughs> let's, uh, let's go ahead and <laughs> come up with something else. And, um, you know, we like Barrel and Flow One. Um, you know, there was also, you know, uh, we found it hard to find um, sponsorships um, uh, from folks because we had beer in the name. Um, also, beer in the name limits it to beer. Um, you know, we want to incorporate more than just that, you know, the wine, um, you know, the, the spirits and whatnot um, in that. Um, and also we want to focus on the arts more intentionally, intentionally as well. Um, you know, any brewery you go into any, most spaces you go into, um, have music, uh, have food, and there's not a business uh, on the planet that doesn't utilize an artist to some degree. Um, you know, even as if it's, it's, if it's just for your logo. Um, so, uh, we want to intentionally, um, you know, utilize this fest to, um, empower the black community specifically through um the arts and uh you know so through the barrel flows the creativity um and that's where we got you know barrel and flow i like that um for f- folks who went to the previous festivals that you were involved in in organizing uh either in person or online last year um and are planning on going again in a couple of weeks or it, is it going to feel similar or is this going to feel like walking into a, a, a brand new experience even you know with with with, with the artistic background uh, that you just mentioned um that's a good question uh i don't know i haven't thought a festival in two years um in person <laughs> uh we're in a pandemic um so you know the messaging has been different the uh the backlash first i was just dealing with racists now i'm dealing with racists and anti-vaxxers um you know we uh you know, I, I think that you're going to it's going to be it's going to feel similar to some degree. Right. We have um, a lot of large, largely the same community, um, largely the same goals. Um, music was a huge part of it. Food was a huge part of it. Um, you know, the mix of, of different um, demographics was a huge part of it. So I think that you're going to get a lot of those elements um, this year. Uh, you know, some things that are different is one. We've got a new venue. Um, it's, uh, you know, we've got streets blocked off. It's much larger. Um, you know, so we're looking at 5,000 people as opposed to 3,000 people from the last event. Uh, we have four music stages as opposed to two music stages, um, from the previous, uh, in-person event. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, just more safety protocols, um, you know, making sure that people are vaxxed, negative tests and rapid testing, um, at the actual door. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I think that outside of, you know, the, the time, um, and some of the, you know, more, um, you know, prevalent issues that are going on for everyone, um, you know, uh, in America and, and, and globally, I think it should feel, I'm hoping that it feels similar to 2019 again, uh, and throwing these events, I don't know what the hell anything feels like, uh, it all yeah. is a dumpster fire, um, until it's not. So, <laughs> but um, given the feedback that people uh, have given us throughout the years, we try to um, build off of that. And uh, yeah, hopefully it feels it feels similar, um, but also not not the same, not just like, oh, well, we've, we've done this before. Hopefully it feels as if we've um, advanced uh, in some to some degree. I, I, I like that. I like the evolution when when places are, are trying to bring something new each year or just trying to. Yeah, uh, different experiences. Be- before we started recording, you, you mentioned though uh, about the festival in creating a welcoming space, mm. and it, it, it that's been sort of running around in the back of my mind, uh, along with a, another word that you used uh, when you were talking about being in tap rooms, and, and you used the word lonely, and the the two of those things together sort of strike me as. There's so many festivals, beer festivals that are out there, and some are really good, um, and some are just sort of you know distributor fest bullshits, whatever, um, you know. But the ones that put some real thought into 
programming and who's going to be there and the the overall experience i i feel like i leave you know happier you know because of it um and not just because of the alcohol um but in thinking about what you want barrel and flow to be um and being a welcoming space and having those conversations where you're actually bringing craft beer into you know diverse spaces um there's got to be lessons that other festivals can learn from you um because again as a middle-aged white guy i walk into a festival and it's kind of tailored for me even though i don't have a beard um <laughs> but it, when festival organizers, when fellow festival organizers think about how they want to have the conversation, how they want to, you know, grow and, you know, and actually walk the walk, what are some of the steps that you've done that create the welcoming space that, that maybe can re- be replicated? I, I don't know if they can, but. Yeah. I mean, we, we hope they can be replicated. We don't have, you know, a magic ball or anything like that, um, that we're working with. Like we're just, we're humans, uh, much like everybody else. And I mean, ultimately, you know, again, uh, one, you know, it was years of going into spaces that, you know, being the only person in a space that looked like me, that's years of doing that. I mean, in my entire life, um, you know, my, the, the majority of my adult life, once I went to college, college was where I became, where I felt like a minority for the first time ever. Um, and I've never stopped feeling like I'm a minority, um, you know, in, in this country since. Um, so, you know, years of being, you know, but like also, especially in, a, in, in my professional career, working in social services and then in, in entertainment, um, going into these spaces where, you know, we're, you know, one of, of, of a, you know, one of the only people in those spaces genuinely learning more about the culture. Like, I, you know, I, I can build a festival that speaks to a, a wide variety of people because I know a wide variety of people. Um, if you don't, then it's going to be a little harder. Um, you know, secondly, you know, asking a lot of questions. Um, you know, when we built this festival, we asked, you know, uh, brewers, hey, what do you hate about festivals? What do you love about festivals? Uh, you know, we went to women. What do you hate? You know, like, and, and brewers, you know, like the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't uh, pay for, for, for their beer, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, jockey boxes or different like logistical issues, you know, from the brewers, um, you know, talking to women are like, oh, we hate tight spaces because, you know, we're always getting jostled around or there's never not, not you know, enough quarter johns because men can just piss wherever they want. So they, you know, it's an afterthought, um, you know, uh, you know, going to the LGBTQ community and, you know, um, you know, hearing what they had to say about, you know, um, things that they love and hate about festivals, uh, about event spaces, the black community. Um, you know, why don't you go here? What do you, you know, what do you know about craft beer? What do you, what do you hate? What do you love about things? Um, you know, really asking, asking the questions and incessantly and, and always asking those questions. You know, once we did the first year, we got the feedback. Um, we continue to ask, hey, you know, so we did that. Uh, you know, how can we improve? Um, you know, and, and really uh, from a genuine, a very genuine want to build a space where everybody can come in. And, and feel comfortable and feel safe, you know, um, you know, for black folks in America, if we want to experience craft beer, we have to leave our black neighborhoods um, or we're pushed out of our, our black neighborhoods from gentrification. Um, but we have to go into white spaces. Uh, that's dangerous. We might get pulled over. Uh, we might get shot. Uh, you know, we go into these places and I, I can't tell you how many times somebody has treated me like a goddamn idiot because, you know, I was like, hey, so what's this? And he goes, well, that's a beer menu. And I'm like, no, you know, like, it, it, like it's the, the way that people talk to you. Um, Jesus. Yeah. The meeting, right. You know, um, and it takes a certain type of person to, to experience that and then continue. I mean, I got pulled over twice uh, going, I was, I was writing an article for, about a brewery in Ohio and I got pulled over on the way there uh, doing five miles over the speed limit um, behind a tractor trailer. And then I got pulled over again. Uh, a cop followed me out of the, the gas station after I filled up gas wait until I got on the highway and then pulled me over because of my tents, um, you know, leaving that space. Right. You know what I mean? Um, it takes a certain type of person to continually go into these, um, spaces where you're uncomfortable, where you are discriminated against and say, you know, I'm not going to let them ruin that for me. I'm not going to, you know, let them take that opportunity away from me and my people, because this is a $240 billion industry and we deserve a piece of that. Uh, we make up 14% of the sales. 
we should make up 14% of the money that's coming back into our communities. Um, you know, and it takes people to be those bridges and it's a, it's a lonely place. It's a tough place to be a bridge. Um, but ultimately it's necessary. And if you want to build an event that is going to be as inclusive as a barrel and flow fest, you have to be that bridge. You have to go into these spaces and be uncomfortable. You have to ask those tough questions. You have to take the rejection again and again, and you have to do it knowing that, you know, the monetary value may not come overnight. Um, it may take, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'll be 40 next year. Maybe 41 years is, is when I'll see the monetary um, benefits from from doing all this shit. But, um, you know, I, I have seen um, monetary benefits for my community. Um, we do pay. Uh, we spend a lot of money um, in the black community hiring artists um, to work this festival, putting money into the, the hands of black brewers to make beer um, and so forth and so on. So. Um, you know, I think that's what, that's what it takes is the, you know, asking questions and genuinely, you know, reaching out to people and, and being in their communities. The breweries that are signed up for the festival this year, a lot are doing collaborations with each other. Um, you know, when we talk about a beer fest, it's, it's hard not to talk about the beer, uh, itself, the collaborations that are being done. Did you have conversations with them? Is this all up to the breweries was there something that you wanted these these brewers to to try to accomplish when they were creating stuff specifically for your festival um so it's twofold um first and foremost the collaborations are um you know we want we want to we want to pair people up for people to pair up with people who um you know uh, one are black um you know like not BIPOC, um, black. Uh, I don't know the Asian struggle. I don't know the Latina struggle. Um, and there's the black struggle in America is unique to black folks. Um, you know, the history of, of slavery is, is very prevalent, um, in our communities and is the, uh, the root for a lot of the systemic, um, oppression that we see that, um, you know, uh, doesn't allow us to progress where say, you know, some folks from the Latino community or the Asian community can do so. So, um, you know, we want folks to pair up with black artists, entrepreneurs, politicians, first and foremost. Um, secondly, um, you know, like I said, when, you know, we ask them to say, hey, do you, do you have any folks that you want to work with yourself? If not, then, you know, we have people that, um, you know, we are working with ourselves that we uh, try to pair people up on in a, in a way that is going to be um, mutually beneficial and aligned. Um, so, you know, one of our most successful collaborations, we paired up um, a local artist, Byron Nash. Um, he's a guitarist, um, and we helped, hooked him up with Helltown, uh, Helltown Brewing. Uh, their whole aesthetic is very rocker, um, and, you know, they seemed like really good guys. Uh, they paired up. Um, they did a collaboration, Black Metal. Um, it was really successful. He performed uh, that first year to Fest. And they've done that collaboration every year. Um, they, they, they send us an email. So we're around like February or March every year and go, Hey, we're doing this, uh, uh, collaboration again. Not sure if, uh, <laughs> if you're going to even have the festival, but it's happening. Just wanted to let you know. Um, they're just going to do it no matter what. That's cool. Yeah. And this year, uh, Byron became the head of uh, marketing and promotion for Helltown Brewing, um, you know, in the fourth year of their collaboration. So, um, you know, that was a successful pairing. Uh, we want to pair people in ways, again, that are, are going to last beyond just that one-time collaboration. And, uh, you know, we want those collaborations to be real conversations, not just, hey, we're trying to sell this type of beer. Can you lend us your name so we can do it? Um, you know, we want these collaborations to be an introduction to the industry um, and say, hey, what, what do you like to drink? What would you be proud to drink yourself? And tell your, you know, people in your community, hey, be prideful and say, hey, I, I had a hand in making this it's fucking delicious and you can do it too um you know we so you know we we, we have that in for the collaborations and then more recently uh with the tavor packs that we had put together uh we didn't want um last year we had eight collaborations this year 16 uh, we didn't want 16 ipas um <laughs> just, uh you know when we send this out we want, weird you know yeah we want the pack to be as diverse as you know, the festival that we're putting together. And we really want this pack, you know, to be something that people can be introduced to and 
they can be introduced to the many ranges and not just a lot of times, you know, again, in listening to black folks in the community, um, you know, specifically black women, um, you know, they say, you know, they don't like beer because one, it either tastes like, you know, American lagers or uh, IPAs, you know, very hoppy. That's what they think about when they think of beer. They don't think of sours. They don't think of stouts. They don't think of, you know, um, any of the other stouts, heppies or any of that. Um, mm-hmm. So in this pack, we just wanted to make sure that going out specifically in those 16 that we didn't have that uh, we were ses- successful in that. But ultimately, once the folks are paired up, uh, we just look to them to, uh, one, you pay a Black artist uh, for the label. Um, being paid for their work is extremely important uh, to us. Um, and yeah, you know, just uh, whatever you guys come up with is, is what you come up with. Um, and we don't want to have too much say in that because then it's not a real collaboration. So um, that's really all we're looking for. You've brought up money a, a, a bunch of times, and I, I love it because it's a conversation that doesn't happen enough, but making sure that people are getting paid for their work, making sure that people are getting paid for their time, making sure that people are, you know, if, if you're in and around this space, um, you know, for a long time, the conversation was, you know, oh, you do it for passion. You don't do it for money. Um, and when I look at the the really successful ones, it was, you know, passionate people who knew how to run a business and you know now have a, a couple of bucks in their pocket which which is pretty nice having that conversation early on with the brewers that you're working with with people that you're talking with about getting into the industry how critically important is that to be to be talking about you know the financial aspects of it and not just the passion of it or not just, you know, the cool factor or, you know, all of the other things that have been sort of pushed forward in the last 40 or so years when it comes to you know, craft beer. Yeah. I mean, that whole passion bullshit is something that people say to like ah. sell more beer. Right. Um, that's, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm like, a journalist, I'm, so I make no money, but like, yeah, I, that's yeah. the life I've chosen. So yeah. Yeah. And, and the passion. Yes. You know I mean, like I'm a, I'm, I'm a comedian, I'm a passionate artist as well, but ultimately like there's only but so much time that I can devote in, in, in my life. And the older I get, the less I have to devote to passion. Ultimately, you know, like, you know, I, I need to make money off of it. Even if I'm breaking even, like, I, I can't lose money on this. I mean, it's a it's a very important yeah. uh, aspect of it, first of all. It's a tough conversation to have with the family, you know, lost yeah. money again. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, talking to these brewers, uh, these brewers, they got into it because they were passionate, but then it became a business. Um, and business, again, is is money. Um, and then, you know, you look at craft beer. Craft is a is a is a money word. Um, it's a political word. You know, the, the Brewers Association doesn't hire a bunch of lobbyists, um, you know, for passion. They don't. I mean, there's not this uh, this this fiery argument, um, you know, uh, you know, over you know, about Sam Adams and Yingling because you know of their passion. Um, I mean, like you know, a lot of Sierra Nevada uh, Stone Brewing doesn't um, you know doesn't uh, uh, feverishly defend their uh, their, their copyright and trademarks because of passion, right? Um, it's a business. Uh, the Brewers Association is an association of businesses. Um, and that is what has allowed uh, craft beer to become what it is, is because of the economics of it. Uh, white people love craft beer because of the economics of it. Yeah, they love the flavors, just like I love. That's how I got into beer, right? I, I love craft beer because it has all of these different flavors. I was like, oh, it can taste like coffee and it can taste like this. Yeah, that's cool. But I didn't start spending the vast majority of my time you know, in this industry uh, or any industry until it became, you know, more of a, a, a economically viable um, option, um, you know, and that passion shit is cool in your basement. But once you open up a brick and mortar, you got to figure out how to, you know, keep the lights on. Um, and, you know, like um, that, like that's, that's the thing that kind of gets lost and people are like, oh, yeah, you know what I mean? But when you go to the, like, if you're talking about expanding the community, you know, uh, you have to expand it the same way that, um, you know, the, the craft beer community has always expanded. It's by bringing more people into it from an economic standpoint, um, you know, and, and seeing that I love the fact that I can spend money at this brewery and I know that it's coming back to my community. As soon as Anheuser-Busch comes in and buys that company, it's no longer craft. Why? Because the economics have changed. The beer isn't, isn't going to change much. They can, same recipes, they even hire the same brewers. Sometimes they even make better beer afterwards. Sometimes they, you know what I mean, more consistent, you know, more, uh, you know, they have more resources or whatever. 
Well, people don't give a fuck about that because the economics changed. And that's what people don't like the, you know, it's this weird thing. I'm in these groups and they go, oh, don't talk about politics. Keep politics out of beer. What the fuck you mean? Craft is a political term. So, you know, I mean, in, in talking about this, you can't talk about craft beer without talking about craft, which is a politically economic term. I don't want to keep because I know you have a festival coming up. Um, last year was its own headaches with digital and doing everything online. Um, I imagine when you set the date for this year, uh, things were looking good. You're saying, okay, you know, vaccines are rolling out. The numbers are going down. Uh, people, I think, were optimistic about late summer and throughout the fall and now uh, as, as you mentioned before, you're going to, you know, not only have to fight the racists out the door, but also the anti-vaxxers. Um, what, what are some of the unforeseen challenges that you unforeseen up until they happen to you of planning a festival in a pandemic? Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> so we can turn this into a therapy session now, if you want, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's, um, a lot, uh, so shipping um, is crazy. Uh, you know, there's um, the ability for people to travel um, has been uh, affected. Um, uh, staffing issues, um, you know, people's willingness to lend their uh, brand and sponsorship to a festival because of the uncertainty of the pandemic. Um, you know, people unexpectedly dropping out because of you know economic or health issues we had a brewer uh end up in the icu from covid um and was unable to uh continue you know to be a part of the festival um you know we uh, uh you know we, you know various it, it, it feels like you know uh, so getting people on the same page is extremely harder when you know, you don't, you're not in person um, as much. So those conversations have to be, you know, online, over Zoom, over a phone call. You have to make time to sit down and go over things that, you know, in previous years, you would just, you know, bump into them at, a, at an event, have a conversation for 10 minutes. And 10 minutes in person is three weeks to a month um, of emails and phone calls. That's right. Um, so the slowness yeah. of that, the fact that everybody is, is, Everybody's experiencing time in a different place. Um, there's not really a shared understanding of like Monday through Friday for me is a completely different Monday through Friday for, for you working from home, um, right. you know, uh, because we don't have that, you know, those Friday events or those Monday events that are happening consistently. Um, and, you know, just the, the, the ability to just kind of whether real or not, um, you know, it just feels like people. Um, aren't as committed. You know I mean, they're they're not, and they don't feel a need to be as committed. Like you can pull out, and we 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 now are in a place where you know if you pull out, we just will chalk it up to the pandemic. Um, and so the the rules are are a little different. You're not as you know your 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 commitments aren't as committed as as pre pandemic. So um, it's been extremely extremely difficult. Um, to build a community internationally, um, you know, uh, while everybody's experiencing, you know, the pandemic, like, you know, some, some spaces, they're, they're you know, some, some parts of the country are closed. Like, I mean, they're not, I mean, while we're completely open over here, I went down yeah. to Florida, um, you know, for, for a few days. And Wait, on purpose? Well, yeah, it was, it okay. was, it was, you know, not that I, you know, but you know, Jay Wakefield and Warcloud were doing a collaboration. And I was like, all right, well, this seems. Worthy. Yeah, that's, so, that's probably, know. that's probably a good reason to go. Yeah. Right? You know, so I, you know, I fly, I fly down or whatever. And it's, they never closed down. They never experienced the fucking pandemic down there. The rules, it's just fucking wild west of Florida. You know I mean, you know, which was to be expected, but you know, the way that beer, businesses experience things and are able to push forward. Uh, are highly uh, impacted by the geographic place that they are um, and the politics that uh, surround them. So, um, yeah, I mean, while everybody's greatly intentioned, um, you know, uh, those those go to go to shit once they smack up against the pandemic. And that has been and, and, and every day today, 
yesterday, tomorrow, I'm going to continue to get calls um, from people who, you know, uh, are unable to do what they said they were going to do because um, of pa pandemic reasons. So, yeah, we just uh, always have to continuous adapt, you know, adaptation. Um, something that was always a thing, but is far, far more a thing uh, this year. All right, last question. Um, I, I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks. I've been rewatching just to to sort of get away from the news and everything else. But I've been rewatching The Good Place on Netflix, um, and there's a whole concept in there of being able to to walk through a door and be anywhere with anybody, um, any point in the timeline, etc. Et, et um, if such a thing existed and you could get away for a few minutes of planning a festival, it doesn't have to be somebody famous. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, like aspirational or, or, or anything crazy, but if you could hang up the phone right now um, and walk into a bar and have a beer with somebody, where would you go and who would it be with? Um, uh, I, I think um, I think I would probably uh, it would probably be 18th Street uh, Brewery and Distillery um, in Hammond, Indiana. Yeah, um, and it no, probably it be with my dad. Um, you know, just if I mean if we're taking timelines and whatever, you know what I mean, like yeah, I'd probably probably sit down with my dad and you know just kind of ask him some questions. Uh, you know, he he died when I was. You know, fairly young, 17, um, and just having an understanding of kind of, you know, where he came from, um, what life was like through his kind of lens, um, because so much of who I am is, uh, you know, based off his genetics um, and experiences. And, uh, you know, he was he was a cop um, in Wilkinsburg, um, which is a local town around here. And, uh, you know, that had to be that had to be difficult uh, working in that system. Um, you know, uh, in that area where, you know, there's, it was, it, Wilkinsburg is one of the few black communities in Pittsburgh. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just kind of picking his brain, um, his insights and, you know, and as a way to, you know, better understand myself, um, and, you know, uh, improve, um, you know, my, my own way of thinking. Uh, over some really good, um, you know, both beer and whiskey, um, you know, in a, in a black owned establishment that, uh, you know, cause that's, you know, ultimately, um, you know, my goal is to empower the black community and, you know, that, you know, sitting down with, with Drew, um, over there at uh, 18th street or whatever, very inspirational yeah. to see, um, you know, a, a brick and mortar establishment and, um, you know, have that kind of like, you know, a little bit of the of the past, um, getting to know, you know, the past as well as some inspiration for the future, um, over some good drinks. So that's where I'd be. Well, I know you can only do half of that on this plane of existence, but, uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for that. That was, that was really thoughtful. That's really, that's really, uh, nice to hear. And, Thanks for being on the show this week. Thanks for taking the time uh, out of a, a festival planning schedule to share some insight and share some thoughts. And I, I really appreciate the insight. I appreciate the time um, and the platform. It's always, always a pleasure. You can learn more about the festival and even get tickets at barrelandflow.com. And make sure you check out the Drinking Partners podcast that day hosts with Ed Bailey, where podcasts are found. And my thanks again to him for coming on to the show. Don't forget about the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch and to check out beeredge.com for our merch page, for articles, to sign up for the newsletter and more. And as always, you can reach me directly on email at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And if you love smoked beers, and of course you do, a reminder to check out the This Week in Rauk Beer group on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. And if you're interested in advertising on this show or on Andy's show, you can please reach out to Liz Melby. She's on email at liz at beeredge.com, and she'll give you all the information that you need. 
And speaking of that, this episode was made possible by the support of NZ Hops, the cooperative of master hop growers. They are a passionate collective of farms dedicated to innovation and sustainability. Leading the charge in sustainable farm practices, some NZ Hop farms have over five generations of knowledge that inform their composting program, used by growers to promote healthy, regenerative growth of hops year upon year. This creates a high-quality soil, a critical component of healthy growing conditions. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. And we're also brought to you by Dragon's Milk. Dragon's Milk White from New Holland Brewing Company reimagines what a stout can be. Your vessel will be filled with the color of gold, and yet there's more to this white stout than meets the eye. Aged in bourbon barrels, Dragon's Milk White is smooth and velvety, abounding with notes of coffee, chocolate, and vanilla to present classic stout flavors in a delicious new way, all in a sessionable 6% ABV package. Find Dragon's Milk White near you at dragonsmilk.com. Just a few other programming notes. There's, of course, Steal This Beer every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast on the 15th of every month. Check both of those out. For this show, though, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>